This week we discuss spirituality in your garden, the benefits of the Ganges River, and how to cope with the uncertain times ahead. Coming up next on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical grass. Hello, I'm Nikki Lestretto, and I'm born and raised in San Francisco, California, and moved here to Mendocino County. And I am the CEO of Swami Select, which is our cannabis company. Uh, hello, I'm Swami Chaitanya, and I was born and raised on the East Coast, but came to San Francisco in the summer of love in 1967. I'm mostly the, the cultivator and the uh, guy who does the physical stuff, takes care of the outside and uh, you know, chops the wood and does the firewood stuff. of spiritual drum and bass brought to you by Shenmen with a jungly broken beat track titled Ganges Raga. Raga is the Hindi term for the melodic framework for improvisation among other definitions while Ganges of course refers to the mighty Ganges River the embodiment of all sacred waters in Hindu mythology. Now you might be wondering what all this Hindu and spiritual stuff is doing on a podcast about cannabis. Well Prepare to be enlightened, folks, as we have not one, but two experts in the field of Ganjan spirituality, Nikki Lestredo and Swami Chaitanya, also known as the co-founders of the Swami Select brand of Cannabis Flower, which you can find at select dispensaries throughout the state of California. Now, some of you might already be familiar with Swami Select, even if you haven't been to California. The couple has been all over the media on various TV shows, including Viceland's Weedikit, which praised the Swami Select brand as the Dom Perignon of cannabis, and they are regular participants of podcasts, including their very own Smokin' with Swami. Their brand prides itself in sustainable, lab-tested craft cannabis cultivated in living soil using regenerative organic methods, also known as Clean Green, which is the industry equivalent to certified organic. So they take their cannabis cultivation very seriously, but they do have a warm, organic approach to it, which we'll discuss in just a bit. And they also love a good chat and swapping stories from their travels, which they have a lot of. 
Now, one thing that initially caught my attention about Swami Select was their slogan of Sun, Moon, and Star Grown, which does seem like a catchy marketing phrase, at least at face value. So I wanted to know whether there was more to it than just sounding catchy and organic. Well, the, the point was to say that it's grown fully outdoors. It's not in a greenhouse. Uh, see, we're very much, in, and it's grown in the ground, and, and it's full season, full sun for the whole, until we harvest in October. So those are things that make our flower different from any indoor to begin with, and any mixed light uh, where they're pulling tarps and so on. So I wanted to indicate that in a kind of a more mystical mystical basis. but. In fact, it does, you know, starlight and moonlight, I think, do have an effect on the cannabis. And when you don't have any barriers between your plant and nature, then the plant becomes really an expression of the environment where it grows and also the skill of the farmer who's making it grow. So it becomes, you know, it is part of Turtle Creek. And there's a photographer, a friend of ours, who took a picture at night, you know, like he took a, like a 10-hour picture, a three-hour picture, whatever. And it shows the Milky Way in a gigantic uh, galaxy right behind the plants. And that was like, oh, yeah, right. We're getting all that input from all the stars. And, and we also use astrology with our planting techniques. So in the springtime, I start the seeds on a uh, when the moon is waxing or growing and uh, in either a water or an earth sign. And so all of those things are oriented to make the plant be, uh, you know, in, involved with nature. And that's when the moon is in those signs. Right? The moon is in yeah. those signs. Yeah. Right. So that uh, those are the fertile signs of the moon. And uh, our garden is also laid out, uh, you know, north, south, east, west. So it's all kind of geologically uh, uh, organized along with uh, astrologically. There's a raging debate happening in the U.S. and Canada now between indoor and outdoor-grown cannabis. Many growers were forced indoors because of prohibition and security matters. However, you have many indoor grows operating in places where cannabis has been made legal for medical and or adult use purposes. Now, there are, of course, benefits to both, but indoor has the pretty big disadvantage of being very energy-intensive as artificial lighting requires a lot of juice to make plants grow. A lot of progress is being made in lighting technology, but nothing comes close to the power of the sun, which, in addition to being the source of energy for all of planet Earth, doesn't cost a dime and leaves no carbon footprint. And the outdoor method, as Swami describes, creates no barriers between plant and nature. So no tarps, no artificial lighting, no petroleum-based fertilizers, and so on. As natural as nature gets. But in addition to using the Earth's natural environment for growing cannabis, Swami has taken it even further, utilizing the cosmos as well. And here's where things start to get truly spiritual. Apart from staying as organic and environmentally friendly as possible, the layout of the garden itself also has a unique design. Yantra, yeah. So part of that is because originally I had built a, a giant Sri Yantra which is a sacred geometry design uh, out of wood, and it was 24 feet a square and about 21 feet high. So it was a three-dimensional three dimensional version, yeah. right? And uh, it was really beautiful. But then uh, over the years, it kind of uh, got a little weaker, and then a huge storm, 100-mile-an-hour mile wind, blew it over. So we salvaged some of the pieces, but then when we expanded our garden and put the plants in the ground, I decided to have the layout be the same layout as the Sriantra, so that that would put an, an, an extra spiritual dimension onto the plants. So another thing we do with plants in the springtime, 
there's a goddess who channeled to us, uh, Ganja Ma, the goddess of cannabis. And so in the springtime, we have a statue of her and we put the seeds on, on her lap uh, for a, a moon cycle. And then we have a mantra, a prayer, a chant, a chant mantra that we say. And that's when we plant them, we say the mantra and so on. And we also take water from the sacred Ganges River. So every seed gets a little drop of Ganges water in the mantra. And all of this is to put the, the sacred intention uh, onto the plant so that it's, it's, it's healing medically and healing spiritually and it's inspirational. Uh, and that's, I think, one of the things that makes our plants, our flowers, so special. If you're not exactly the religious or spiritual type, you might be thinking, well, this is a little over the top. What with the chanting and the geometric designs and water from a river halfway around the world. But what Swami and Nikki's methods do demonstrate, as opposed to a commercial grow operation that is strictly for-profit and has a production line approach to the plant, is that cannabis is a living thing which they nurture and help thrive, thereby resulting in kind of a symbiotic relationship. They set the intention, which is then manifested in the effects of the plant when consumed. And generally speaking, whether we're talking food or medicine, there's a very noticeable difference between organic crops grown with care and passion and industrial ones grown for quantity and weight. And cannabis is no different. What really piqued my curiosity, though, is how they got that water from the Ganges all the way to their farm. I did, but there's actually a website, and I'm happy to share it. It's called uh, Krishna Culture, and you uh -huh. can buy Ganges water online now. <laughs> and wow. they send it over from India. But, but the original water that we had was, there's a, there's a sacred celebration that happens every three years in India, and then action in four different places, and every 12 years it returns to the same place. And that's where the, the Ganges River is joined by the Yamuna River. It's one of the great uh, confluences in northern India. It's one of the most sacred sites in all of India. And they have a festival there every 12 years. And uh, the year I went there, uh, there were 60 million people, all of whom were trying to bathe in the Ganges at the same moment. So at the exact place where the two rivers come together, I waited out uh, pretty almost naked and uh, scooped up a jar of this sacred water from there and that was the very first water that we used but now like Nikki says you can since Indians are worldwide they have uh, email delivery of Ganges water so the Ganges actually comes out uh, under a glacier it's called the cow's mouth Galmuk and so it's a place where right out of this glacier uh, the Ganges River comes but uh, I have to kind of dispute it at that point it doesn't look clear and pure because it's turbulent you know, when it comes out. So, it, it, you know, it looks like turbulent water. It's all uh, kind of foamy and so on. Unless, of course, it, it's down. But it's pure in a spiritual sense, right? And it has the capacity to purify other water. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in some cases, I've drunk water directly out of the Ganges River downstream and, you know, never got sick or anything like that. So uh, there's something about Ganges water, uh, which is actually, it's, it's very special. It's, in fact, in, in, uh, they have a separate word for it. They don't even use the normal word for water in India. They don't say Pani. They say Jal, Ganga Jal. And it's mm -hmm. the sacred water of, the, of, of uh, the Ganges River, which is actually what they call Amrit. It's the elixir of immortality. So it's got some, it's got some weight. So we've solved that mystery, at least. 
Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend ordering water all the way from India if you want to give your plants some vigor. I think this is more symbolic than anything, but I don't want to take anything away from Swami's methodology either. If that works for Swami and his plants, then more power to him. At any rate, you can already see how Indian culture has had a big influence on Swami and Nikki's attitude towards cannabis and spirituality for that matter. So I was curious whether India is where the two developed their appreciation for the plant in the first place. Oh, no, that was developed long before. Uh, well, no, it was actually not. Well, uh, well I first smoked the joint uh, when I was, what, probably about 23. I was quite late. Nikki, when, how old were you, 14? I was 14 in 1969. <laughs> right. but and then I, my first trip to India was until 77. So I, for me, I was definitely very involved in cannabis before right. I even got yeah. to India. But I first uh, smoked cannabis uh, yeah, when I was in uh, the University of Wisconsin, and that probably would have been uh, 1966, 67. And then uh, during the summer vacation, uh, I and a bunch of friends, uh, we drove out to San Francisco for the summer of love uh, in 67. We were in the, in the Haight and Golden Gate Park and so on. So I smoked a joint on Hippie Hill. And that was all part of that, that whole movement, which uh, was pretty much everyone was, you know, everyone who was at all aware was, was involved in and then uh, I went back for another year at the University of Wisconsin and then moved, moved out here in 1968. And, you know, I had a, a studio on Hate Street and I was uh, doing light shows. And, you know, so it wasn't just, just cannabis. It was, of course, in those days, it was the LSD culture and we were all tripping. We'd probably trip once a week for most of the time. We lived in a commune together and uh, we did light shows all over. There were many other light shows, too, but... We did them all over uh, for a bunch of years. And then uh, then I started working on a film that a friend from, from college, a fraternity brother from college was making, and the film uh, uh, was called Sunseed. And it was about the spiritual teachers who were actually working and uh, teaching in San Francisco at that time. Uh, people like Swami Satchidananda, Yogi Bhajan, and then there were, there were some Sufi masters, uh, Pir Vilayat Khan and Sufi Sam, and there was also Swami Muktananda, and then there were the Zen teachers also, uh, Roshi Suzuki, and so on. So we made a film which was kind of like a, an encyclopedia or a compendium with a little short bit about each one of these teachers and, and their students. And so in making that film, uh, my friend uh, Amritat Khan, he decided we needed to go to film on site. So we went to Israel and we filmed at the Wailing Wall. And, we went to Iran and we filmed some Sufi masters there. And then we went to India and Nepal and filmed a bunch of uh, gurus and babas and, and swamis and so on. So that, that was a very important trip. Obviously, it uh, pretty much changed my life. And that film was then released. And, uh, and that's how it kind of all started. So it was the hippie days of the late 1960s in San Francisco where the spiritual journey of our two heroes actually began, but it's quite clear that their travels to India did affect their approach to ganja. However, ganja, or specifically cannabis flower, itself is not as widely consumed in India as you might think, especially judging by the Swami Select brand. Nikki tells us why this is the case and shares a few more very interesting facts about cannabis culture in India. Uh -huh. But as far as okay. cannabis in India connection to that um yes when we you know we were both in india in the 70s i was there on my own trips going overland and um of course we you know smoked a lot of charas the hashish that they have in india 
um, more than the ganja because the the flower is not that good there. It's just they've never really quite mastered sensimia growing without seeds yet. So, but they make killer hash and chadas. And yeah. Afghanistan, we both were very fortunate to be in Afghanistan before all hell broke out and the rush. I mean, we were there when there was still a king, and that was really absolutely the best hash in the world. Yeah, no question. Um, but then I think what really when we got more involved in cannabis was when we moved back to India in the mid eighties or so. And at that point up in the Himalayas, we started really getting into these villages where everybody grows cannabis in their backyard. It's, it's just like another herb in the garden and they grow it not only for making the chartas, but they also grow it of course for the seeds because that's a large part of their protein in their diet. So mm. um, we really learned a lot. I mean, it blows your mind totally when you're walking, taking a walk in these beautiful mountains and you come around the corner and, wow, there's a huge field of cannabis growing. And you just don't expect that. Back in the 80s, you just did not expect that. In California, if you ran into that, you were going to probably see a gun in your face. But in India, it was just like everybody's backyard had all this weed growing. And so that really opened up our eyes to the cannabis culture and um, the history of ganja in India a lot more. Yeah, it was a very common thing where if you went to visit someone uh, in this little village, a local people, and we stayed there for like four or five months uh, at a time in this little village. So we got to know a lot of people. You go and visit someone and they'd offer you tea, chai, chai, and they'd offer you some cookies, which they call biscuit. You want biscuit, chai. And then, uh, then in addition, uh, the, usually the wife would tell the, to the husband, well, come on, offer him some. And they'd offer you some charas if you wanted to smoke some, just as in a little social situation. It was not particularly, had no stigma at all. It was just part of their culture. And the interesting thing is that, of course, all the holy men, the babas and the sadhus and the swamis, many of them, I wouldn't say all of them, but many of them, all, you know, they start the day and wake and bake with a chillum of charas, right? So. It's very much part of the culture, and it's 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 seen as as uh, something that that holy men do. And now they are finally looking to grow it a lot better. They are taking a real interest in trying to figure that out. Um, I mean, it still remains pretty illegal in India, except uh, there's a few states that are coming around medically. It's coming around. I mean, in the old days, it did used to be, and still is true, in a very few of the very um, sacred towns in India such as Varanasi or Pune or um, Bhubaneswari Puri, different places where there's big temples that are mostly dedicated to Lord Shiva. There will be these little government stores where you can buy, um, they sell ghoulies. And a ghoulie is like a little a candy. It's an edible, basically. Oh, and and it'll, edible. it'll get you quite high. And, and they also sell chadas and... I, I do believe that under the table you can get all kinds of wow. other things like opium as well. But they they do that. Um, that's actually legal to anybody who's a devotee. Well, no, but can. this is she's not making it clear. What what's really the fact is that there's a whole kind of medicine called Ayurvedic medicine in India. It's you know like Chinese has its own kind of medicine. India has its own kind of medicine. And there are actually we are familiar with a, a man who owns a factory that makes Ayurvedic medicine in India, and he actually has three, about five formulas that contain small amounts of cannabis. And so uh, cannabis has been part of Ayurvedic medicine for probably at least 5,000 years. And there are many, many texts that some of which, a uh, few have been translated, but this is a very ancient technique and ancient medicine in in, uh, in India. And also in China, the Chinese medicine uh, 
you know, uh, we used to use cannabis, and there's several other medicinal uh, practices uh, that use cannabis all over the world. And that's why recently the World Health Organization has changed its view on cannabis by declaring that it is now a recognized traditional medicine. And they give examples of several places in the world which continue to use cannabis as medicine today in a very ancient way, in ancient formulas. And so they've said that cannabis is now a traditional medicine, but even more important, the World Health Organization has declared that it's what can be called a complementary medicine. So that when you take cannabis together with other medical practices, what we call allopathic or regular Western medicine, it actually augments and complements and improves the function of the the other kind of medicine. But ancient tradition in India of cannabis as medicine in Korea also and in China and in Afghanistan, it's the go-to medicine if you don't have anything else. I mean, even right here... In America, and I imagine in Europe as well, before um, the great stigma was put on cannabis and it was made illegal everywhere, um, it was 50% of all medicines had cannabis in it. In the United States. At some point. And I imagine Europe too. I well, no, actually they have, they have what are called, uh, what are they called, herbologies, you know, books of herbs that were published. And you can see some published in the 1600s in Europe. And they show drawings of cannabis and Absolutely. they tell, tell the use. Long before any medical marijuana laws came into existence in the U.S., cannabis had been used as a medicine in India for millennia. But as Nikki and Swami point out, it has been used as a medicine in many other places as well, and not just in smokable form. Apart from ganja, you also have charas, which is a type of hash made by rubbing your hands together to collect resin after handling ripe plants. But in addition to smokable forms, you also have bang, which is an infused beverage. And if drinking cannabis isn't your thing, you can also eat bola bowls, which is essentially the same as bong, but in edible form. But getting back to medicine and the World Health Organization, I couldn't help but address the elephant in the room. Coronavirus. Nikki and Swami have the luxury of living in the sparsely populated hills of the Emerald Triangle, so it's not as big a threat to them as, let's say, a densely packed large city. Now, many people on social media have asked whether cannabis does protect you from the virus. Unfortunately, there is no evidence that cannabis can cure you from the virus itself, but it can definitely come in handy in other ways, as Swami explains. I think today that what the use for cannabis is to alleviate boredom while you're locked in. <laughs> <laughs> What's happened here, you know, it increases your awareness, it makes you more creative, you can listen to music and all sorts of other things, uh, you know, making love is, is more intense and so on. So all those things are definitely... Uh, ways to use cannabis that are not necessarily uh, directly in contrast to the to the disease, but at least to, for your state of mind while you're locked up, locked in, excuse me. And actually what's <laughs> the real amazing bonus that has come out of this coronavirus thing is that um, at least in California, it has been considered and deemed an essential uh, business. business cannabis, you know, that it's, they need to have it for medicine. So um, liquor stores are closed, although you can buy alcohol at major grocery stores or something still. But liquor stores are closed, but cannabis dispensaries are open. And thanks God for the people that are willing to still work there and the delivery companies that are willing to deliver it. Um, because like Swami says, 
it's going to help reduce stress right now. And that's a major thing. It's, we all know that stress leads to so many other medical issues in the body. Right. And so if people can stay home and stay high, um, that'll definitely be helping the whole psyche of the universe right now. Some dispensaries that people are lining up around the corner to, to get, and they're also, uh, for quite a while now, everybody's been buying little eight ounces, which is 3.5 grams in jars. And now people are buying, uh, Half ounces and ounces, and full, ounces, full yeah. ounces, 27, 28 grams like that, just so they don't have to keep going out. And then obviously it is cheaper that way too. So it's making things really, uh, people are really reevaluating where they stand and what, what's important to them and so on. And, you know, they say that, you know, air is cleaning up and rivers are cleaning up and so on, just from the pollution of nobody going anywhere. All those automobiles and the factories are shut down. So, uh, you know, air has gotten cleaner in some places, we've heard. Though. So, But here, here on the farm where we are up in the mountains of the Emerald Triangle, um, life continues pretty much the same. Like we're starting our seeds in about a week. Um, we'll be preparing the garden to start planting and life goes forward. We have to keep doing what we're doing. And we're actually very fortunate to be in a business that we can keep doing what we're doing and not have to just stop all things. So it, it feels good to be able to still get our hands in the soil and keep going forward. Thankfully, Nikki and Swami run an essential business that is part of an essential industry. Now, Shiva knows how many people will need the relief that cannabis can provide in these tough times, whether to deal with physical pain or to help people mentally and spiritually. But the situation across the globe is quite worrisome and has left many people wondering whether and to what extent the cannabis industry will be affected. Well, what I think you got there's several different layers are involved here, and you have the federal layer, which is basically uh, saying it's illegal and has no medical use, and uh, that's the layer which is kind of like the most disorganized at the moment uh, because of what's uh, happening in the presidency. But uh, the AE, our state, California, is is much more progressive and much more environmentally concerned. They have declared, and also it's pretty, I don't know if it's aware of that the rest of the world, but California produces about 40% of the agriculture for the entire United States. And we also, you know, export to other countries as well. So uh, agriculture has been deemed an essential business as well. So that's carrying on because people are going to need to eat. Uh, the point is that you have to have sanitation and, and the protocols in, 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 in process so that people are not, you know, uh, exposed to unnecessary risks in, in working. But like food stores are open and so all agricultural businesses are still operating uh, if they so choose. And that's why cannabis also came in because we're, we're agriculture and we're, we're also part of that medicine. So they say that not only do stores stay open, but the supply chain, that's a very important, the mm -hmm. whole supply chain is also still operative both for food and, and for cannabis. And so uh, we would have special permission. We actually wrote up uh, a certifying letter for uh, going to be our lead gardener so he can travel back and forth. If he stopped by the police, he'd say, well, I'm essentially on official business or something. Let me select, and, and I, I have to go to grow the pot so everybody stays chilled at home. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, you know, it's part of that. And so in that sense, it's, a, it's kind of a landmark moment for cannabis, the cannabis movement, 
to say rather than being the scourge and and you know a bunch of evil uh outlaws back in the mountains you know this and that and the other thing it's like hey wait a second we need this stuff this is important and people really want it and need it and it will be part of the whole process of getting through this crisis I and mean, from what i hear the the main part of cannabis that's being affected is, of course, the vape pens because they're not getting the parts from China. And mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, that's no loss. <laughs> that's but, a good thing. Um, that's, <laughs> so that is changing. Um, and the other thing that's also changing is that people are not sharing joints. Now, I know in Europe, you've often people don't share joints as much. It's always like people have their own joint. But here in America, everybody shares so much of it. So people are learning now to have their own device, have their own joint, whatever it is, a way of doing it. So that that's changing things a little yeah. bit, how people are learning. And the that. other thing is, that, as Nikki mentioned, the vape thing, people are now going to be very more concerned about how pure the product is, right? Are you sure that what you're getting there is 100% pure, organic, pesticide-free cannabis? And so what that means is the way to guarantee that is to buy your cannabis legally from a licensed dispensary because then you know it's tested. And all those things, the vape pens, things, it's actually, you know, some of the stuff, that the the, the, loot, the oil that they put in the uh, what vitamin E acetone was causing problems, but also even the vape pen cartridge itself was causing problems because there's, you know, certain heavy metals in the cartridges they then leach out into the oil if it sits on the shelf for a while. So I think people are going to say, well, how do I know that it's guaranteed pure? Well, you buy the flour, right? Mm-hmm. You buy the flour and from uh, an organic uh, farmer and it's certified and tested at a laboratory sold by a licensed retailer. So I think that will be a boost for everybody to say, hey, how do I get the pure product? Well, go where it's tested. And the other thing to remember, of course, is that <laughs> Uh, smoking weed cannabis is it is a bronchial dilator so um, if you're not that it's going to cure corona here but you know it does open up your lungs it opens up your whole breathing process so it's it's not a bad thing to continue smoking cannabis at this time just to keep your bronchial system yeah. going healthily well in the old days whenever we got sick we would usually stop smoking yeah and now, now, we now we've no. all learned that actually cannabis is medicinal that's like, hey, I'm feeling sick. Oh, smoke another one, right? <laughs> or maybe not smoke one, but have an edible or have or, a tincture or, or, or use an oil. A, or I use a volcano. So yeah. that's a way to vape. It's actually really pure, right? you know, and in ways that you can do that that are just fine and still does the bronchial dilation. So it turns out joints might not be that bad for us after all. However, before you go roll that spliff, and this is directed mostly at my European friends, sorry guys, but this has to be said, you might want to hold off on the tobacco. Um, Keep in mind that might be uh, just interesting to share with your friends over there is, as I said before, cannabis is a bronchial dilator. So what that means is it opens up your lungs, right? So when you mix it with tobacco, that means that you're bringing in more of the negative effects of the tobacco into your body. So it's actually worse for you than just smoking a regular cigarette or something, regular tobacco. So it's really not advisor to mix the two. I wouldn't recommend it. And thanks to the emergent cannabis laws and regulations throughout Europe, you can now buy CBD weed quite easily, which makes for a fantastic tobacco replacement if you catch my drift. Just try to make sure it's free from impurities. Now, while we're on the topic of health and healthy ways of consuming cannabis, I wanted to get Nikki and Swami's opinion on the concept of dabbing, which, when done properly, can be a healthy way to inhale vapor. 
we really watched um, the whole dabbing thing unfold and be born right here in Mendocino County because um, the Emerald Cup, you know, comes from here, the judging competition for cannabis. And the people that run that cup are probably some of the first people that were doing dabbing back when you had the whole, uh, what were those guns called? The, well, no, the original the, way it happened, they, you take a, a regular bong, right, a glass bong, and you change the, the thing that held the, and you take then a heat gun, right, right, a, an industrial painter's heat gun, or even a hairdryer kind of thing, and you put that right over the bowl, and and, and you change the heat, and you blow it through the bong right into your, and it was like yeah. super. Yeah, so it was, you know, we've certainly tried it since the beginning and been experimenting with it. Um, it's not really something we do. First of all, I think it just is too much work. Um, to get that whole thing together, but it's also um, we really enjoy, you know, the the um, ensemble effect of all of the different cannabinoids that are in cannabis. And of course, when you're dabbing, you're getting such a strong hit of THC that you really aren't even getting all those other delightful things that are in cannabis. So mm. I can't say that dabbing is really my favorite thing to do. Um, yeah, it it's it's fine. It's great if you're into it. Although I have seen some people become such space cadets they can't talk. But um, I I mean we're more into really the the combination of of cannabinoids. And and curiously, when we do judge, because we have been judges in this Emerald Cup since it started in 2003, so we've sampled literally thousands and thousands of kinds of cannabis of organic sun grown cannabis from the um, state of California. And the one that wins is never the highest THC. So, you know, certain people are going to go for that thinking you're going to get more bang for your buck. But honestly, what really always wins is that one that's got a much more complex sort of character to it that delivers an interesting high, not just a slap you upside the face kind of thing. Yeah, so we're very much into the whole plant medicine, the full spectrum. And as Nikki mentioned, you know, when you're dabbing, you're getting like 80 to 90% THC. And what that means that there are 500 compounds in cannabis. And so you're taking one and you're concentrating it. So there's 499 compounds, which you're reducing. They used to be 80%. And now they're like 15 to 10%. So you're just not getting all of that. And we have seen, especially some young people get totally wasted with their dab rigs and so on. But, you know, there turned out to be, we have the, the, the national, um, now international holiday 420 for cannabis, right? You know, the 420, you have that there. Well, there's also here now what they call 710, yeah, which July is 10. oil upside down in the American way of writing the date, right? So, um, at any rate, uh, but we just feel that the, that the uh, our way of enjoying cannabis is smoking a joint. Now, Nikki does vapes. Well, you get the whole plant, the whole spectrum, and you're really enjoying that for what it is. And uh, once again, uh, with the oils, you want to make sure if you're going to dab that you have a place where you know it's organic oil, it's pesticide-free, then there's no other additives to make it stretch, you know, to make it look thick and so on. So you do have to be careful with But now vaping is something else that... Uh, Maybe not with a dab, but with a vape, like a volcano or these other different kind of vapes. And I, we would recommend that if you're going to vape, use a, a vapor that uses flour. And then you know that the flour, again, is organic and pesticide-free. And that will then be a way that you can still ingest the cannabis, but you're not you know, putting uh, tax on your mucous membranes and on your lung. 
through the hot smoke uh, of the joint. Now, I still really prefer the joint, and uh, that's what Nikki called, we call that the ensemble. Everybody uses the word entourage. We like ensemble because that means that all the different parts are actually playing. And so well, that's the very thing, you know, find, that's the one of the great challenges of cannabis is to find the one that really suits you, the, the, the variety, the cultivar that does what you want at a certain time of day. And part of the fun of finding the one that works for you is the experimentation and trying all the others, right? So practice, practice, practice is what we preach. And uh, you'll find the joint or the, the cultivar that works best for whatever situation you need. Whole plant medicine is where it's at, ladies and gentlemen. Now, while there are ways to make dabbing unhealthy, for example, by using high temperatures or petrochemical solvents, which can contaminate your concentrate, there are ways to reduce the health risks involved, such as by going solvent-free with things like rosin or using lower temperatures on your device. So any other morsels of sage wisdom for these crazy, uncertain times ahead? Oh, I smoked the last joint. <laughs> That's from the old days when, when, when you didn't grow it, you know, you didn't have six pounds sitting in the back room, right? So, uh, yeah, that was the thing. Always smoke the last joint because if you didn't smoke it, if you were hoarding it, it was kind of blocking the next one from coming. But when you do smoke it, that's the faith that so the next one's on its way and I'll just get, I'll stay high and it'll be there when I need it. So, um, no, but seriously, I would say, um, you know, like I said, I smoked my first joint in 1969 when I was 14. Um, I, I would guess, I'd say the one good thing it might have been nice to hear that nobody was able to tell me then was to just sort of um, think of it as medicine. We did not consider it medicine back, back then. It was just, a, you know, getting high with your buddies. But now I look back on it and I see that it has always been medicine in my life because even as a stressed out teenager, I know it helped me get by. It did not hurt my grades in school at all. And I really feel that that's a good thing to know now to, for people to look at it as medicine as well. I agree with that. I would say tune into the higher spiritual aspects of this plant. And it's been used that way since the very beginning. And to, you know, if there's still a stigma where you are, don't even accept that stigma because this plant is probably the oldest plant that's been in service to, to humankind. Uh, they found archaeological remnants of it, you know, eight and 10,000 years ago. People have been using this plant forever and there's nothing, no stigma attached to it, really. It's the world's finest medicine. It probably taught people how to grow plants, how it taught, you know, people agriculture. Uh, it's been just a part of, you know, human culture for so long, as you said earlier, the fiber for rope and, and the seeds for nourishment, all these things, it's been an integral part. And so I think, um, basically, um, don't let, let the government lie to you. That's my advice. Don't let the government lie to you about this. Go to the source and find out really what's happening. That's some very sage wisdom indeed. All right, if you want to reach out to Nikki and Swami, where do you go to find them? 
Well, they can go to www.swamiselect.com, and we do have a contact in the page on there, so they can send us an email, and we actually answer our emails. We love to hear from people from all over the world, and we have quite a big following out there. So we please write to us. Let us know what's going on um, in your part of the world, and we're happy to answer questions and share stories. Um, that's probably the best way. We are also on Instagram and yeah, we have a Facebook and all that. But we, we do, I just said, said that. Right. And Facebook, Instagram. Uh, and we were also were doing uh, YouTube smoking with swamis, although this time, because Mickey stopped smoking, we're probably going to be calling it, what would we say, uh, sheltering, sheltering, sheltering place, sheltering with Swami. Uh, we'll be uh, starting some more videos on YouTube. Everyone's got time to watch these days. And last but not least, we bid Nikki and Swami adieu. So Nikki Lestrade and Swami Chaitanya, many, many thanks uh, to the both of you for the chat today. Uh, it was great fun and informative, and it was a blast talking to you guys. Uh, stay safe, and uh, I hope to visit uh, Ganjima Gardens uh, as soon as that becomes possible, uh, or uh, maybe I'll see you guys at the Emerald Cup. Oh, well, we'd love to see you over here in California. Yeah. Be well. Be well. That does it for episode 34 of the Critical Grass Podcast. Once again, many, many thanks to Nikki and Swami for the wonderful chat. As soon as this lockdown is over, I am so going to India for a little uh, spiritual retreat. Or perhaps the Emerald Triangle, whichever is faster to get to. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, feel free to share it on social media, like and subscribe us wherever you can. I do realize times are tough now and people's financial situations are up in the air, but if you do have a little pocket change to spare, you can help support the show by going to patreon.com slash criticalgrass or by making a donation via PayPal, the link for which can be found on the Critical Grass website. We have some super cool guests coming up very soon, so stay tuned. As has been the case since the day I was born, my name is Bogdan. Please be good to one another. Let's take care of each other in this difficult period. This too shall pass. Namaste, y'all.